Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wendy Burns, and I'm a kind of part Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. How's, how's everything here in the <laughs> It's going pretty good. I, we lost you for your, your last thoughts on uh, Malcolm and Marie. Uh, Ten years from now, do you still, do you still think it'll be Washington Laundry? <laughs> Oh, so it did finish? Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be uh, watching it. <laughs> I watched it the other day, actually. So, yeah, Malcolm Marie, you guys did not do it justice. 58%. Come on, man. Listeners, he still he still holds the claim. 58% was not right, not justified. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of topics to get into uh, this episode, as as usual, and um, we're going to get into a, a couple NBA topics. Um, also, just some um, some thoughts on the JJ Watt trade to um, the JJ Watt signing to the Cardinals, um, and then a couple of album reviews in the second half. We're going to do a review of Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, but just started off with um, just thoughts on Lamelo Ball's excellent rookie season and how he's adjusted to what the Hornets are doing offensively. Um, his playmaking has just been transformative, and he's been able to impact. The defensive side as well, using his length, uh, anticipation, and quickness to enable extra possessions, which has helped um, Charlotte diminish deficits and bringing up leads. Um, the Hornets are, are currently eighth in the East, and they were projected to be among one of the league's worst teams, but have been able to accumulate wins against the Nets, Bucks, Heat, and Warriors, and, and also um, the extremely competent Suns now, who are you know top four in the West. Um, but what are your thoughts on how Lamelo has been able to put just all of his wide-ranging skills on display as, you know, you were high on him from the jump and also just thoughts on how Charlotte is going to stay competitive in the East playoff race. What an incredible season he's having so far, man. Just, I am extremely proud yeah. to say that. Before I even say that, the biggest thing about LaMelo's game was could it translate into the NBA? Because we knew his how is he knew he was right. an excellent passer, knew he can shoot the ball well, knew he could do certain things. But would that translate to NBA? Because we saw a lot of great athletes whose game did not trans, translate or transfer to the NBA. So it's a, it's a whole different bar game. But I I hate how they did him when he first came into the league. They sat him. They, they started and then they sat him. He came. He was coming off the bench. Now he's in the starting lineup, and you can see how great they are as a basketball team when he's on the court. He has a phenomenal vision. His passing ability is, I I didn't think it was that good coming in. And I'm glad he didn't go to college. <laughs> I know that's crazy, but I'm glad he went over <laughs> and played overseas and got that experience because I, I think that helped him when it comes to having that his talents translate to the NBA. But his passing ability is what stood out the most. I knew he could get buckets. I knew, but he gets his team open. He's Lonzo 2.0, maybe even 3.0. Maybe even 3.0, but yeah, mm. Lamelo has been playing great basketball. He's an ideal point guard that who can give you buckets at any at any time. Yeah. So man, shish, great season. And and the, the fact that and I mean, he, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and I mean, even with 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 Lonzo, we know what Lonzo can do defensively and as a playmaker. But with Lamelo, he's been able to put even the offensive side. Um, on display as well. I mean, we saw saw again in, in the last Portland game, he has 30 points. Um, Carmelo has 29 points. He's been able to, there's almost been this this belief that what LaMelo has been able to do has, has been like even an accelerated um, ascension than what we expected. And, and that's kind of, it's been one of the biggest storylines of the NBA season because so far 
if you when you when you look at the future of the league, it's in good hands. And this guy is even up that list of guys that are going to be the future face of the league. Yeah, and, and to piggyback on what you just said, man, the the fact that his teammates like saw like first day at camp, Rozier said, "Yo, this this kid can actually like ball." Like. No point intended. None. No point yeah. intended. But the kid can ball. Um, Lamelo ball. I, I don't know if you picked that up, Wellington. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I can ball. <laughs> Lamelo ball. He can ball. Uh, <laughs> this 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 particular one. This particular one. The particular one can. <laughs> oh yeah, this particular one can ball because I don't know what the other one. <laughs> but no, the, the fact that his teammates behind is extremely rare for a rookie to come in and win over his teammates and they have mm-hmm. faith in him and they trust him it's extremely rare even when lebron came in it was like man it's still our team until he got on the court it was like well this lebron team yeah me might be a rookie but it's still LeBron. i think it was uh darius miles who said that i was like yo like really <laughs> darius miles you probably every like 10 points a game yo get out of here come on like you used to be good but you're not good anymore but like it's extremely rare for a, a rookie to come in and, and get that um, that love and support. And, you know, he's a, he's pretty much the leader of this basketball team in my eyes, especially if you're the point guard. Uh, transitioning out to Lloyd Pierce's exit from the Hawks and just what they need to be able to be a competent East team. Um, this past Monday is when the departure happened and injuries have definitely played a part in this as, you know, there were expectations for them to rebuild and, first two seasons and obviously Trey Young has been given so much accessibility to the offense from day one as he's been one of the most ball dominant guards in the league over the last three seasons and has um has had career averages of 24.1 points and 8.1 assists but this hasn't co- coincided with team success as they currently have a 15 and 21 record with a net rating of uh, minus 0.3 this season um but what are your thoughts on just the Hawks letting go of Lloyd Pearson Injuries riddling a team that has had um, playoff hopes. I think when, when you're the head coach of a struggling basketball team, and sometimes all of the focus, all the hate, all the excuses fall upon you. It was reports that some of the players like were agreed upon for him to be fired. Um, they're 16 and 20. They're <laughs> not even a top eight. Is it extremely difficult for a team with plaguing injuries to be successful in the NBA, especially? Um, being in the Eastern Conference, Eastern the Eastern Conference, but I think the I don't I don't agree mm-hmm. to the firing. I don't. I think it's a lot of other variables yeah, that play a role. Yeah, I think they fired him too fast, and I think the players the players not liking him or agreeing to his his tactics or his you know what I'm saying his vision. I don't think everybody was on the same page, and when the players aren't on the same page with the coach, and then the players are complaining about the coach, then. What can you do? You want to make your players happy. Because you can interchange. You can change out head coaches all the time. You know? But I thought they fired him way too soon. I know it, it was a lot of injuries. It's a lot of other things that goes into But fire him this early, man? No, nah, I don't agree. I don't agree with that, Willington. Yeah. It, it's, it's really like a lot of times when you have a young, a younger team and, and also a, a budding rising star like Trey Young, you can't have just accelerated expectations. And that's this league has brought accelerated expectations in many places. Cause you look at a team like the Knicks and what they've been able to do, they've had many, you know, s- subpar, you know, under below just type seasons that weren't spectacular. And now they're, you know, a top four seed in the East. Like 
you think it's one of those things where if they would have been able to stay with him and just like write it out, you look at teams like Philly and even like what the Knicks are doing, do you think it's one of those things where they should have looked at teams that have had, you know, unsuccessful seasons, but were eventually able to write it out and, and get to a competent state? I think so. I think it takes more than two seasons or three seasons for a coach to implement the vision and the direction. I know a couple of players said that uh, they felt like they were studying, studying one for one Trey Young's development. I know uh, John Collins wanted to be uh, have a bigger role. He, and they, they said he called him selfish. It's just not on the same page. And when you, it's so hard to to be successful in three seasons, especially what the Hawks came from, what was like 2013, 2014, yeah. when they went on that big run. I think it was like 56 and something, and they lost in the playoffs. That's when they had Al Horford still. That's when they had Al Horford, <laughs> Jeff Teague them still. So it's crazy. How, yes. In that time, yeah. man, you expect your expectations. Joe, Joe Johnson, so high, right? But yeah, Joe. Oh, gosh, man. Joe. Joe's still playing ball, man. He still gets, he still gets <laughs> buckets and um, – I forgot what league he's in now, but he still gets buckets, man. Joe, 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 ISO Joe, man. ISO Joe. Yeah, ISO Joe. <laughs> Watch yeah, out. ISO Joe. Watch out. But I think they should have gave him more time to the to, to implement more things. In you know, NBA is such a, a high turnover rate when it comes to head coaches, and man, I think they should have wrote, wrote it out yeah. and just gave him this entire season to to fill it out even more. But I think. They thought he lost the locker room. He lost the respect of the players. And when you when the players don't respect you, they're not going to play for you. So, Yeah, exactly. Um, transitioning to uh, the NFL and just thoughts on J.J. Watt's um, latest move to Arizona and what he'll bring to them. Um, this past Monday afternoon, Watt agreed to a two-year, $31 million deal worth $23 million in guarantees. Um, it's an intriguing move for both teams as, you know, this is an aggressive acquisition for Arizona. And then, Cliff Kingsbury, but it's also surprising for J.J. Watt as he's getting on board with the young core, but a team that doesn't seem ready yet for a Super Bowl run. But what are your initial thoughts of this signing as, you know, this also heatens up the NFC West race as the Rams, Seahawks, and 49ers could also have um, big impact seasons? You know, it's crazy. I thought it was uh, <laughs> uh, interesting signing, like you said. One, because they run a 3-4 defense. And J.J. Watt can move around. He can play yeah. the nose. He can play three-tech. He can play defense in. He can play outside linebacker if he wanted to. But it was interesting because he he does most of his damage in 4-3 four, three, four, three defense, a bare defense, like defense where he can put his hand on the ground. They might even stand him up. But I, I support seeing him standing up. I haven't seen him uh, be effective <laughs> standing up and not being in a three-point stance or a four-point stance. So it's going to be interesting. But I think with him, if they can, if they can find out if they can jail, the defense can jail, him and Chandler Jones is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Because Chandler Jones is still a top-notch defensive rusher. Yeah. He's one of those guys who's sneaky speed. It's, it's just intangibles, intangibles out of the roost. But I understood that because I guess he didn't have that with Houston. He hadn't had it in a while, actually. I mean, Jadavion mm -hmm. Clown has been moved around in the league. Uh, Brian Cushing left. He was, a, he was a middle linebacker. They haven't had a good defensive front in Houston for a long time. So him going to Arizona, understood they have some young guys. Have Chandler Jones. The secondary looks uh, decent enough in the offense. Think feel like I feel like they can uh, pick it up, but it's definitely going to be interesting. I, if K can uh, get over, Kyler Murray can get over. I'm calling K, by the way, Wellington. I'm calling Kyler Murphy K. K. 
<laughs> like Men in Black. I'm calling him K. If K can figure it out, if the running game can get figured out, if they can act, <laughs> if they add some more, a couple more weapons, K. If, if K can figure it out, man. Arizona car. They, they was this close, Willis. Uh, you can't see my fingers, but I, they're like like really close, <laughs> like really pitching close. But yeah, I like the signing, but it was he's so close. So he's so close. He's almost got it. K. Come on, K. 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 But they're so close. I think if they get, if they get over that hump and if he can fit in that three four defense, which I think he should, um, watch out, watch out. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it is. It, it really is one of those things where you can see that even with the Russell Wilson situation, like, do you have any thoughts on just possibly how that could also change? Because oh. uh, there have been trade rumors and, and him, like, you know, maybe wanting to get out of Seattle. Like, do you think that's a situation where even though Russell Wilson, because that is going to affect NFC West yeah. significantly, whether he stays or goes, mm-hmm. like, do you think that's another situation where he could, like, possibly want to ride it out of Seattle or look for a situation that could accelerate his chances to compete for like more Super Bowls? I don't think Russell has ever experienced a wide receiver like DK Metcalf. I don't think he ever received a wide receiver that was a baby Mm. who wanted the ball or he never experienced an offensive line that terrible. He never experienced that. So it's it's kind of like, man, I don't I don't think I want to do this for another year if they don't get it right. Because if you look at all the receivers you had before, what Golden Tate, Percy Harvin, Doug Baldwin. Doug is one of the most selfless people you ever meet in your life. And he was he was a guy that went out and, and above and beyond and didn't complain if he got the ball or not. But you have a different experience. It's not the same team anymore. He doesn't have the same running back. He doesn't have the same offensive line. So it's a new change. Now, if he does leave, everybody will be chomping out the bits to get him. I, I don't care if you have already got a quarterback. Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody's going to be out to get him. But I think he's yeah. <laughs> he, he's getting into a season where he's not. You want our guy? You, you want, want our guy? You want our guy for Russell? Yeah, for Russell, we'll hey, give you. We'll, hey, give, look, up. we'll give him we'll up. give you everything for us. <laughs> and I think it was some talk about him wanting to go to uh to the, the Las, Las Vegas Nevada Raiders or whatever you want to call them or I don't know. Yeah, Raiders. Raiders. Um, it was talks about that and then even possibly going to uh Miami. I think it was straight talks to Miami because nobody loves Tua. Oh gosh, that's another topic we got to get into another day, bro. Like nobody loves Tua in Miami. Nobody. Yeah, nobody loves Tua. And so I think it's very interesting, but it I think Russell is so loyal, but it, at the same time he's thinking about his longevity because if I don't have an offensive lineman, I have wide receivers that are crybabies, then that I can't be. I'm not trying to be a Donovan McNabb dealing with Terrell Owens or Tony Romo or one of these quarterbacks that, you know, have to deal with this over and over, not having a good office lineman and having these crybaby wide receivers. But I think he still stays, but I think changes has to come before. I mean, changes must be made. Yeah. Absolutely. And and before we move on, there was also news today that Big Ben, um, they restructured his 2021 contract and he's going to remain with the Steelers for one more season. Obviously, this was this team got off to a, just a blazing hot start with the 11, uh, 11 and 0. Um, you know, didn't have a, a long, successful playoff run, lost to um, the, the Browns in the postseason. But like in terms of just what the Steelers, you know, not not finishing in terms of just not having the consistent into a season that started off with just so much promise. Like, what are your thoughts on just the future of Pittsburgh? Because this is a team that, you know, has, you know, had a ton of upside for the first half of the season, but then just wasn't able right. to to finish it and complete what we thought 
could have been you know, a more promising season. You know what? I don't think they're very confident about the quarterbacks coming in. That, that just lets me know that if you give Big Ben another year, knowing what Big Ben done with Pittsburgh, the loyalty, the, the injuries, the playing injuries, everything, I don't think they're confident in the quarterbacks that could come in and immediately start for them. So there's like, okay, let's invest it. Let's let's give them one more year. And then maybe if we draft one of the guys and then groom them, then the next year he'll be okay. But that just lets him know if they sign Ben again, um, it's, it's going to be good to go. Transitioning to our album reviews, um, to start it off with Sir's Chasing Summer Review and just the collection focusing on um, bitterness and mis- misconnections um, in the Soul Singer's second album, you know, there's elements of paranoia and he's establishing conditions where you know, actual relationships are impossible. At 14 songs, it feels like, you know, just the right amount as it had hit features in, in Kendrick Lamar, uh, Semino, Zakari, Lil Wayne, and Sabrina Claudio. Um, and just an album that feels somewhat similar is, is Scissors Control as, you know, it's stylistically similar and just there's a lot of um, sad love records. But what were your thoughts on Chasing Summer and just how Sir used um, a lot of this project with distinctive songwriting to open um, a new chapter? Different sound. I've never heard anybody sound like him before. He's yeah. unique. He's unique in how he structures his songs. His concepts, like John Redcorn, man, what a dope concept. <clears throat> dope melodies. The beats of production are crazy. It's, it, it's a soulful, but it's a mixture of hip-hop and R&B with the soulful. It's all mixed in one. So when you listen to this album, you're going to get every, every shred of, of hip-hop, R&B, and soul. Even, even neo-soul. But um, what I love the most about this album that it was it was it was well tied together. That the message was like his concept, like chasing summer, and then you can't save me, hair down. Like it's it's just dope. His names is dope. Concepts yeah. are really dope. This is a vibe. Yeah, look, you you already mentioned some of my favorite songs. The yeah, touchdown, uh, fire. You you can't save me. Were like my top three. It, were there any particular ones that that? that were kind of like your particular favorites for this one? Top three, definitely You Can't Save Me, John Redcorn, Fire, Touchdown, Hair Down, and then, hmm, I'll leave everything else up for, for debate, but You Can't Save Me is my favorite. That's the first song I heard on this, this album. Yeah. And then I heard Hair Down, <laughs> and then John Redcorn was so crazy. I saw he did a... Um, a sponsor, a sponsor on Instagram, and I saw the music video, and I'm like, "Who's using John Redcorn as as the music?" Then I was like, "Oh, that's <laughs> it's like, oh, that's dope." And then I listened to the song, <laughs> and I've been playing it ever since, man. It's it's a crazy it's a crazy track. I mean, like, there's just so many good stellar type of type of hits on this one. Um, like moving forward in terms of like, like you said, like th- there's not another person that kind of sounds like him. Like, do you think at times that can be just a kind of a blessing and a curse at times because people, they expect so much from, from your particular sound mm-hmm. and also you having to navigate just you growing as an artist. Cause even though like you don't have a guy you can compare him to or another artist you can compare him to, people still have an expectation to kind of like hear these types of tracks going forward. I think it's a blessing. I don't think it's a curse. I think as an artist, mm. when you don't sound like anybody else, they don't expect. So say, for instance, like Little Baby and 42 Doug, all these guys, they sim- sound similar. So when they grow, say Little Baby grows more than 42 Doug, now they expect 42 Doug to be like Little Baby. 
But for sure, nobody sounds like him. He can grow in his sound and people are still going to rock with it because it nobody, it sounds like nobody else. So when you have your own sound, mm-hmm. individual sound, unique sound, you can grow within that without having expectations from your fan base because they love it so much. It's different. They don't see, they don't hear it anywhere else. So they're going right. to rock with it regardless. I think it's a blessing, especially mm-hmm. as an artist, man, it's, it's extremely hard to not sound like anybody else. Because it's so, music is so saturated, so many thousands and millions of people doing music and people, yeah. But I think it's a blessing more than a curse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to um, our, our second review, uh, Sunder Sun from uh, Brent Fayez. It was one of just the greatest R&B albums of 2017. And as his debut, this is a project that is you know, heartfelt and extremely open about the fact that, you know, some of them dealing with, you know, we need others to advance in life and then even early in the album with um, First World Problems, Nobody Cares, where he sings, as long as I as long as long I pay rent, I don't even whine about my paycheck. I know it is short, but I'll make ends because it will be a worse situation. And then also finding joy with friends, even when there's, you know, struggle. Um, that's also an element in this song. But overall, like, what were your thoughts on Sunderson having tones and textures of the past that were well studied? And also how, you know, from this, the promise of, of Brent's potential was undeniable. Yo, I don't like this album. Really? <laughs> I don't. The only song I do like is Man. Talk To You. The only song I like is Talk To You. And a friend put me on this song. And it's a song that I, I play periodically, but I try to go back and listen to the album. And I didn't I didn't like it. Um, I couldn't get with it. Mm-hmm. Not, like, even Gang Over Love, I didn't really like it. Um, but I do say he's he has this pattern that he does in all his music. He does a lot of uh, stacking and harmonizing. He loves to harmonize. He loves to bring that extra element of harmonization in his music. It's really dope. Now, I love all the other music. Like, all these other albums and EPs, I love them. But for this yeah, one, I really, albums, yeah. really didn't particularly like this one. I even love his uh, his other group, um, Sonder. Yeah, it's, it's called Sunder. Um, so I yeah, like, Sonder. I, like, I yeah. love <laughs> their music. I listen to it periodically all the time. They haven't dropped anything new yet because obviously Brand is focused on his his individual career and some other things he was talking about in his interview uh, with Apple Apple Music. But for this particular album, I really didn't like it. I just like talk to you. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, you, you look at his later work; it's universally more like than than than, uh, than some would say, like like this project. Like, do you feel as though because like he's he's at the top or or just one of the top artists, obviously of R and B. Like, do you feel as though even when artists don't have a project that's like earlier, it, it can kind of set up them for a better opportunity and chance to like kind of accumulate more wins under the under their belt to get to the state that we like genuinely like respect them and like what they're producing. I think so. I think, but when you have that true fan base when coming up and they, they, they hear their original sound of you, I think it took some time for me to be like, okay, Brent is, is one of top guys in RB. And I think when I heard Lost, his EP Lost, that really made me kind of like fall into that gap of like, okay, he's, he's legit. And then when he dropped F the World, and those singles before that, and then mm. this music with Sonder, it just really just put it in perspective, like, yo, this dude. And it's, 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 bro, we talked about this. There's so much more potential that he hasn't tapped into when it comes to his music and his voice. And he has it. He shows it sometimes, right. but he's so, his pattern is always harmonization 
and it's all it's it kind of mimics hip hop as well. Everything is in indulged and wrapped around hip hop, but he doesn't. He's not like a true R and B singer, if that makes sense. He has the ability right. to, but he's more in the confines of hip hop, or um, not even hip hop, or um, what is called rap, because you know hip hop and rap has different mm-hmm. uh, watch calls. But yeah, he's not a typical R and B like a Usher or. Um, even Givian, like Givian is, is a true R&B artist. Um, yeah, But absolutely. I don't think he's a true R&B artist, but his music is definitely R&B. It, that, that's just, I don't know, that's a conundrum. I don't know why is that, that's, is that way, but that's what I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Savon, I don't know if you heard the news, man, but, but, but scary hours are approaching. We're getting some, we're getting some new music from from our guy, man. I don't know, I don't know how you're feeling about it. Like, like the last time we got the first scary hours, it was diplomatic immunity and God's plan. Like, like you have any expectations for this one? Because I mean, the last time we got a single from him, it was laugh now, cry later. It's it's well worth the wait. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it because he's supposed to drop his album in January. It's March, so I'll believe it when I see it. It's March, yeah, yeah, it's March, yeah. Exactly. We've been waiting. I wanted to make a post like, all right, Drake. I mean, like you promised us something in January. Now, now the album's supposed to be done in April. Come on, man! Like, make up your mind. I know you tore your ACL again or something you did, but come on, bro. <laughs> Drop some music. Yeah. Drop some new music. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with our Judas and the Black Messiah review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Judas and the Black Messiah review. And um, we're joined by a special guest, Trent Morales. He's been on uh, for a few of our movie reviews in the past. But thanks again for uh, being on, man. Hey, glad to be here, man. I'm glad to be on for something else. <laughs> I think we can we, we can move past <laughs> yeah, exactly. elements. A different, a different director. A different director. Yes. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited, man. I'm excited for this one. Uh, yeah, definitely. And to start with the overview, um, Judas and the Black Messiah is a 2021 American biographical drama film about the portrayal of Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party in late 1960 Chicago, at the hands of William O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, an FBI informant. Also, uh, Jesse Piemans, uh, Dominique Fishback, Ashton Sanders, Daryl Britt Gibson, Laurel um, uh, Howery, Albie Smith, and Martin Sheen also star. Um, the film is directed and produced by uh, Chaka King, who wrote screenplay with Will Burson, um, based on a story by the pair and Kenny that um, and, and Kenny and Keith Lucas had a budget of 26 million and brought in 4.2 million in the box office has a, a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and Daniel Kaluuya just won a supporting actor at the Golden Globes and was nominated at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Um, you know, and, and obviously this is one of the defining movies of the year so far. And with the dramatization of um, historical events that was just so electrifying. Um, Trenton, to start it off, kind of like, what were your initial thoughts of, you know, such an, an impactful and, and jarring film as, you know, just the, the truth of something that was, that ended up being very harsh was a story that kind of had to be told. Yeah, man. So I'll never forget when I first saw this trailer um, and just being captivated um, by this portrayal of Fred Hampton and just yelling out, you know, I am a revolutionary. And man, it just, I was like, I will be seeing that movie when it comes out. I had no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big, I love diving into the, these historical flicks um, and to these, these movies that cover the time period. Um, of course, 
I think that the piece is very timely. Um, it really kind of sheds it sheds light on um, on a time period that was very confusing. I think, particularly for white America, I think a lot of times people yeah. think of the Black Panther Party as what was seen in Forrest Gump as just this you know hateful group who wanted to protest the government and um, you know just rebel and. And in a sense, like now this movie kind of like sheds some light on like, man, there's there's a lot of complexity here. Um, the Black Panthers have a very mm-hmm. complex history, and we have to be able to to wrestle with that and be okay with that. And you know, even if we come away disagreeing with some things, being like, you know what, these guys were they were doing some good in their community. I mean, if 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 I I mean Christian, if you're a Christian or not, like if you're feeding the you know the, the needy in your community, taking care of kids and you know, take them to school and all that stuff. I would applaud what you're doing. I would want to be there working with you. So yeah, at the at the end of it all, um, it's just learning just to to deal with the tension of, you know, honestly, some people that I, that I probably politically and even, you know, spiritually and other things would probably disagree with. Um, but I can honor what they did. I honor them as people, and I honor what they did and what they stood for, because. Uh, I would hope to stand for the same thing as well, too, to to fight for what is right and to seek justice in whatever way we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of, kind of like, what were your initial thoughts of um, this film as it, as it's been one of the most you know powerfully told stories um, so far this year? You know, I, I've I've followed this throughout college in my uh, African American studies and stuff. I'm mining in history. And what I didn't like about the film was how they betrayed a couple people. And I know I'll get more into this, but for one, uh, FBI agent Mitchell, they betrayed him as just doing his job. Mm -hmm. No, that's not the case. If you really read between (laughs) the lines and do your research, that's not the case. And then Mm -hmm. I think they should have (laughs) portrayed J. Edgar Hoover so much worse than what they portrayed him in the movie. Like they, everything is too light. Jay Edgar Hoover was a terror. He was Hitler to black people. Like, that, come on, let's that dude be was serious. a that dude was a gangster man. He was terrible. We used to read about him yeah. in high school. I'm like, yeah. bro, why does he have a statue? Or is the name is named after <laughs> the build is named after him? Like, I don't know. But that's what I didn't like about the film. But overall, I think it outside of that, those little those details, I think it did a great job to betray Fred Hampton. And also Bill Bill O'Neill because he wasn't the only um, you know rat quotations rat that uh, FBI mm-hmm. had in in those situations and yeah so yeah absolutely um, transitioning to our first topic from one to four stars what would you give it um, I would definitely give it four as this was a film that you know had a widespread widespread amount of death and bloodshed but it also does an exceptional job at focusing on the survivors and understanding. Um, you know, their perspective as victims too. Um, Trent, to start off, like from, from your perspective, from one to four stars, uh, what would you give it? Uh, yeah, I'm rocking four stars as well too. And, and this is going to kind of, just, I'm showing my cards here, but it's going to really kind of build how I approach this review with you guys. Like, I, I, you get drawn in by the humanity of this film. Um, and it really just kind of pulls you in. I'm like, yeah, I, I feel the heartbeat of these people. And, like, I feel kind of their weight and their mm-hmm. struggle. And it just kind of pulls you in. So, yeah, I think it definitely deserves four stars. Um, and, it, uh, yeah, four stars for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you from one to four stars, um, what would you give it and, and kind of your particular reason? I'm gonna I'm gonna go and uh throw a curveball in there. I'm gonna give it three stars. Uh, I give it three stars because the betrayal of the, the main characters, like I said before, they just didn't do a good job of it. Um, this is just that- payback from Malcolm Emery. It's just payback from Malcolm Emery. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not, bro. It's not. I promise you, not. I don't know, man. It was just knowing the real history behind those two gentlemen. What I want to call them, hmm. gentlemen, behind those two individuals. They, yeah, they could have betrayed. I know the twin brothers uh, helped wrote, wrote this uh, the script or whatever. But I, as two black males, mm-hmm. I thought they would have like gave it justice of who those two individual guys really were. But I do like how they betrayed um, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name, uh, Bill O'Neill. I do how like how they betray him because that yeah. that was him to the T, even to up to the years in the nineties where he committed suicide by running in the street. But um, yeah, I give it three stars, man. I just I just felt like yo, those two gentlemen, those individuals should have been portrayed a little differently. Yeah. Um, transitioning to, to favorite character, um, you know, it, obviously Fred Hampton played by Daniel Kaluuya is, is the runaway, just like overwhelming, like force in the movie. But, you know, with what we saw from William O'Neill, I feel as though that was another fascinating, you know, just, just scope and, and, and look into what happened with him because there's a riveting nervous energy throughout the movie that is sustained. And it's a captivating performance as you see Lakeith Sanfield embody a man anguish over sabotaging a movement in him selling out his soul um, to, to you, like trying kind of like what character kind of resonated with you the most and, and just kind of fascinated you um, in a particular way. Um, now I'm riding with Deborah, Deborah Johnson. Um, she, mm. she brought out, she brought some soul into the film. You know, she, the way that she was kind of like this calming force for Fred Hampton um, and the way that she, 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 she seemed to be a steady hand the entire time. And, yeah, like I, I just I was just moved by the actress who played her, uh, Dominique Fishback, and what she did. Um, and you know, I, I, so my wife and I have a roommate who's you know a, a young African American girl, and we both said like, you know, what was great about the film was like this this is a new era, man. This is a new era of actors and actresses yeah. who who are taking the throne of mm-hmm. Hollywood. Now, I mean, Daniel. Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, they they got they got marked. I mean, they they are well established now, but these are the new faces, and and these guys really helped carry the mm-hmm. film. But what stood out to me though was Deborah and just how like, like just calming presence, <laughs> who was by no means was she um, was she going to uh, you know stand down, but she definitely was firm in what she stood for, and uh, yeah, she stood out to me the whole entire movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Savon, to you, kind of like what character in particular um, did you kind of like admire the most in, in, in this film? Um, Fred Hampton, man, for for sure. To, to the, the mm-hmm. amount of impact he had, we don't give him enough credit what he did in his 20s. He was young, super young, very intellectual. 21. Yeah, articulate in every form of the word. The guy was powerful. He put his money where his mouth was. He was a, he was a leader. And he was 21. Who's do, who's doing that at 21? And for a, a great cause like the Black Panthers. And the way he died, man, it was, yeah, that's, 
Oh, that's crazy. But man, I admire him the most because at 21, I was not thinking about any of that, bro. Like I wasn't thinking <laughs> about any of that type of lifestyle or trying to be, you know, a leader or something. I just want to enjoy college. <laughs> that's all. I, I just yeah. wanted to, I'm yeah. finding myself anyways in, throughout, you know, this process. But for him to be 21 and to be that high up, bro, that's, that's crazy in itself. The amount of like discipline. It, it made me feel guilty. Right. Savon, it made me feel guilty for how I was at 21. I was like, what was I doing? <laughs> what was I even doing? It just puts things in perspective like, yo, I'm not doing life right now. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to, to most memorable scenes, I had um, a badge is scarier than a gun where um, William is being interrogated after he's been caught being a fake uh, cop and detective. Mm. Um, I'm a revolutionary. Mm. This is Fred Hampton's introductory scene. And the, the first speech of his was, you know, just one of the best crafted in the entire film, um, arrested for ice cream, where the FBI is just, you know, desperate to get Hampton off the streets. And um, this was an extreme charge as they tried to put a, put a stop to the movement and Deborah was left pregnant and alone. Um, shootout with police. This is why Fred is in jail and things start to unravel on the outside. Um, and it leads off to a, leads to a standoff between the police and the Black Panthers. Um, bring a pool stick to a gunfight when Fred and the Black Panthers go to the Crown's Bar to spread the word about um, their breakfast program. Then they leave all the weapons in their car as a show of peace. And then finally, it looks like he's going to make it where um, J. Edgar Hooper decides uh, that Fred Hampton needs to be dealt with uh, firmly and set into, into motion the depth of him. Um, Trent, looking back at all kind of the memorable scenes, and maybe, maybe there's some more that, that you kind of had in mind, uh, kind of what was your particular most memorable scene for from this film? Um, so I remember the first time I watched it, I was sitting there. Uh, I actually had my, I was watching on my laptop because Hashtag, I haven't emphasized I can't watch stuff late at night anymore, uh, especially with a sound bar. So <laughs> I watched it on my laptop. And yeah. The, and the scene where Deborah reads Fred the poem, um, when he's basically kind of mm-hmm. questioning whether she wants to be a mother or not. And, you know, she just basically just kind of pours out her love for Fred right there. Um, I was like, man, this is, this is a really pivotal moment between the two of them in their relationship that you know they're they're working through this together and she's sitting here carrying their son while also being concerned about whether you know Fred Hampton's going to live to see the next day because he's putting himself right. out there in a way that um, like we've all said he's drawing the the ire of the FBI they're putting a hit out for him um, they've infiltrated his organization with people who uh, you know? Who are you know reporting on everything that's going on? And just yeah, you you can just feel kind of the weight of the weight of that moment. And it, but it, it sits really well. And uh, I, I'm glad they, in the midst of the craziness of this movie, as far as like violence and despair, and ultimately the death of Fred Hansen, that we do get these moments where it's just like, okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna let this breathe, and we're gonna gonna take this in. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so those scenes stand out to me, and and the scene in the church um, where you know, oh yeah, for sure, Jesse, where Jesse Plemons' character shows up, and Lakeith Stanfield is basically just staring him down, and he's trying to hold it together. You, again, you feel the tension of that moment of like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to stay in character, I'm trying to do what you want me to do, and you're making it hard for me right now. And, but then just Fred Hampton, just the passion 
And you know, the way Daniel yeah. was just, you know, bringing this performance forward just really sat with me. I was like, this is, this is something, it's a character worth, uh, worth believing in, worth fighting for. And I'm, of course, tried that we never get to see the, the full potential of his life lived out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what was your overall, or, or maybe a, a couple of scenes that, that really um, sit out to you for this one? Uh, the last scene, man, when they assassinated mm. Fred Hampton mm. and they pulled her out mm. and said, oh, he's look, he's going to make it. And they shot him twice. He's not going to make it now. Wow, man, it was a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, yeah. That was heavy. That, yeah, that's heavy. Real heavy, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to 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 most memorable quotes, um, I had "Revolution is the only solution." Um, reform is just the masters teaching slaves how to be better slaves. Um, political power flows from the barrel of a gun. Information is raw material for new ideas. Uh, imagine what we could accomplish together. Um, I am a revolutionary, and also anywhere there's people, there's power. Uh, anywhere there's people, there's power. Was kind of like my overall like most memorable quote. I really yeah, believe that. Just a, a great encapsulation of what of what the message was with what behind what Fred Hampton was doing. Um, do you trend kind of like what was your overall most memorable quote? Um, man, anywhere there is people, there is power. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and even when he's doing the, the classroom scene, uh, the politics is war without bloodshed, while war is politics without with bloodshed. And again, like I said, I I don't. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm not going to subscribe to everything that Fred Hampton believed, but but I I get what he's saying and I understand where he's coming from. But right, you know, just those two in particular just really stood out. It's like yeah, that's that's, that's a strike. He knew how to rally his people, and and those two quotes definitely definitely did it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what was your overall most memorable quote from you? Probably America's on fire right now until the fire is extinguished. Don't nothing else mean a god darn thing. Mm. That was my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a really accurate, accurate. I mean, there's, there's just so many. I mean, Fred, Fred Hampton, just the, the, the oratory that he had, just the way he could control a room. And, and obviously just every quote that was thrown out in this film, it's just it was just, just really piercing. Um, Transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? For me, just how it's a movie of the moment and for the time of the release, you know, our society is still grappling with questions of race and systematic racism on, you know, levels not seen since the 60s. And even though it's a long overdue conversation, um, it's one that still has to be opened up. Um, to you, Trenton, kind of like what was the particular element of this movie that, uh, you know, of the storyline that you liked the most? Um, just the humanity of it all. Um... You know, the from the for them doing the feeding the kids with breakfast to, you know, Fred Hampton getting down and, and making the Rainbow Coalition not based on uh, a structure of race, but based on a structure of like um, social status and like where people are and how they're kind of being put down by the government because they're poor. And it's like, no, if we can get together and realize that the same things, the same thing is hurting all of us, if we can come together and if we can do work, then we can really see change take place. And yeah, you know, just the way he did that, um, like of course, you know, Deborah and how she kind of brought some humanity to it. Um, 
built, you know, Lakeith Stanfield and just the 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 constant state of turmoil he found himself in. Because he, you see, like, when he started, like, you know, he seemed to be, you know, high rolling, getting money, eating steak in this restaurant, snapping his fingers so people can bring him water and all that stuff. And then just as mm-hmm. it goes on, you can see he just becomes more more and more conflicted and kind of the interior of himself. Yeah, he just starts to shred. And until yeah. the the very last scene where his character is being interviewed in real life, it's just a shell of a man um, who mm-hmm. he, I think he, in a sense, I, I, I love what he said too. Like, you know, I was, I was there. I was on the front lines. So yeah, he could definitely say that and he could, li- you know, live through that. But brother, like, you 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 left a piece of yourself out there as well too, and that's something he could never ever get back. Uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking, no doubt. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, Trent, um, Savon, to you, kind of like what in particular about about the storyline uh, did you like the most? The fact that he chose Fran Hampton's story—that's what I loved about it because he mm. swept it on the rug a little bit, especially with the Black Panther Party and just Black history, history period. Um, the fact that they took the time to write this story was really dope. I really, I, you know, I have my quarrels with it, but I, I'm glad they told his story. Well, a piece yeah. of it, um, because representation is 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 big, is vital, um, and sir, so these show these kids in, in in our community that a 21 year old had this much power, had this much respect, was articulate, intelligent, intellectual. He had degrees. He had all these things. He's, you know, I mean, some things he, he believed. I didn't believe, like um, Trent said, but I did think what well, he had his head on on his shoulders and just depicting this and showing his life. But I don't think he was the main character, though. Little, Bill O'Neill was the main mm. character. Mm. Yeah. It was, it was about him, I think it was, but but still having Fred Hampton in there. I mean, you yeah. can't go wrong with that, but I do think Bill O'Neill was the main character. Yeah, uh, that, that, that really is a, a great point. Transitioning to um, our fifth topic, 10 years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and intriguing? Um, I definitely think it will. You know, you have King's masterful storytelling and then you know, the stunning performances from Kaluuya and Stanfield, and there's just this propulsive energy that's mesmerizing. And like I've said before, you know, it's a necessary story that that, that had to be a necessary true story that had to be revisited. Um, to you, Trenton, 10 years from now, this is, you know, just came out this year. What do you think will make this a, a film that, you know, will continue to be uh, just very intriguing and watchable? I mean, first of all, man, it's, this is, um, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, I, I'll be completely honest. I know that, you know, I know, I know your base. I know you two guys, you, you, your young black men who are, you know, living your life and doing what you got to do. Um, and I, I feel, I definitely kind of feel inadequate when it comes to this question, um, because this mm. means more to the black community than it does to the white community. Um, but it should be just as important to the white community as it is to the black community. Because not only is this black history, this is American history. And if we are to be good students yeah. of the moment, we need to know the historical, the, the history that has gone behind us. 
And in order to do that, we need to engage with the Fred Hansons of the world. We need to engage with the Malcolm X's of the world and the Martin Luther King Jr.'s of the world. And on and on, all these people who have gone before us and have laid this trail, like, like we, what we saw in the last year with the protest and everything, that trail was laid by men like Fred Hampton. And we have to honor that legacy. Yeah. And, and I think that this film will stand with Malcolm X, with Black Panther, it will stand as a pivotal point in the entertainment industry because you have to realize that there's a story being told here. And yeah, like Savon said, yeah, they, they definitely got some details wrong because it's Hollywood. They're going to stretch, they're going to stretch history their own way sometimes. We, we know that, but we could still like yeah, engage it absolutely. and, and let it push us in a direction to learn more and study more and grow from there as people. Yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like a decade from now, what do you think will make this um, a, a continued, intriguing, and watchable film? As you know, Trent was saying, it, it goes beyond just a film, but obviously, right. our history that 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 is you know being told and, and something that is very realistic. I want to say it'll be watchable ten years, but I don't know. It just depends on what context and what which situation this movie is watched in. I think it's one of those movies people is convicted a little bit about and they learn a little bit, but then just push it to the side. It's just another histor historical movie um, with a with a little spazazz, like Trent said, it's Hollywood, so they're going to put some spazazz on it. But I, I, I want to say it's, it's watchable 10 years, but I don't think it is. I don't think people want to mm. hear about this type of stuff. Mm. I don't think people want to hear this story. A lot of people don't want to see a black, a, a black male leader killed over and over again. It's, so it just depends on what context and what situation you're in, you're gonna show this film. But I don't think it's watchable 10 years because frankly, nobody really cares. I mean, that Trent, that goes into your bonus question that, that, you, yeah. that you gave yeah, to me yeah, originally. Like you're yeah. posing, you know yeah. what I mean? You're posing that, you know, as, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, I'll set it up for you guys. So Savon, I, I pose this to Wellington. Um, and this is something that me and, me and my roommate were talking about. Like, it, it took her probably a week to really want, even kind of build up the courage to engage this movie. Yeah. Because, number one, she knew what was going to happen. There's no way you're getting around what, what you're about to see. Um, but, I mean, if we if we think about, you know, kind of these, these big movies of the last... 10 years, you know, like 12 years of slave, you know, Judas and the black Messiah, mm. you know, even, even aspects of get out, you know, are very traumatic for mm. African Americans and black people. Um, like at what point do you as young black men say, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out or, you know, I, how do we get to a point where we can start telling stories of redemption? And start having heroes like 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 a Black Panther, who you know mm -hmm. we can say yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's my king, that's my dude or whatever, you right. know like yeah. um, because because I certainly felt that as well too. I was like you know like a coworker of mine who's an older Black man who grew up in Compton, you know was like he asked me about it. He's like you know was it good? And I said I said I said I said I, said, I thought it was good, man. But I said I'm not going to tell you. You need to watch it. Type. 
because this is an individual who grew up during a time period when the Panthers were at the height of their their lineage, you know, where he's seeing these mm-hmm. leaders be killed. So I guess as young black men, as people, as individuals who love movies and want to see these stories told, have you reached a point there where you're like, you know what, I'm good on seeing these stories, these particular endings happening over and over and being told over and over again? Well, uh, I guess I'll jump in. Um, <clears throat> I definitely think these stories should be, it's going to be cringeworthy because of just past trauma um, mm. that's trickled down for generation. <clears throat> generation. I think I, I didn't notice America until I got into college. I went to a predominantly white school, Birmingham Southern, my first college. So okay, I yeah, was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I had veils on my eyes, so I didn't rec- recognize it. When Barack Obama <laughs> was elected, I saw it a little bit, but I swept it under the rug. I was like, well, people just don't want him as a president, well, whatever. But when I got to college, I really understood things. So I rather kids in college, in high school and middle school, understand uh, these movies, like 12 Years a Slave, I was mad from beginning to end. Now, when you said 12 Years a Slave, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm not watching. But I watch it because that's our history. That's America's history. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to know these things. I'd rather people talk about and, and depict these stories because they're not talked about in history books in, in high mm-hmm. school, even college, unless you take an African-American studies course, course. Excuse me, course. So for... And mm-hmm. I, I look at Fred Hampton as a hero. I look at Huey P. Newton... Um, as a hero. I look at Malcolm X as a hero and it's some other radical guys that um, in, in the African community as heroes. It doesn't have to be a fictional character. Like mm. Fred Hampton was a hero. He was. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think when it comes to if we find hope in Black Panther, I know it's it a great indication of what Black people can do and what they created in the 70s during this time. Well, not even 70s, during, I think it was like the 50s and 60s when... Um, Stan Lee and another guy, I forgot the guy's name, who created Black Panther um, to, to show what Black people could do. But in that in that essence, I'd rather it be realistic, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, realistic. So Fred Hammond is a hero. Um, the, the guy, <laughs> it's guys in Pensacola that are heroes that I can't think of. Arthur Searcy is a hero. Um, who went to Wellington knows he went to church. He sells uh, State yeah. Farm. Hey, sure, he's a hero. Yeah. He's instilled in me and my brother's a lot in church. So I just don't want it to be fictional. I don't just want Black Panther mm. to be like, okay, yeah, that's yo, that's our that's unrealistic. <laughs> we want yeah. realistic heroes. Tragic, tragic yeah. stories. Tragic stories have to be told. They have to they yes. have to be told. Yeah. It has to be those sure. tough conversations have to be had. And people have to engage in those conversations and be willing to learn, not just be convicted. I, I like that you're convicted, but what are you gonna do with that conviction? Mm. Mm. It has to fall. It has to something has to precede that. Like you're okay. I'm convicted, but I'm going to think the same way I thought before I watched this movie. But I think those movies and these stories need to be told. Excuse me, told. Yeah, uh, they they have to continue to be told. Malcolm X, one of the obviously like one of the crowning achievements of Denzel's career. It was it eventually ended up to be to being a tragic story. There, there's twelve years a slave. Like that's save on right right there. That's a film that. I'm not going to revisit and go back and, and watch watch many times because of just the jarring elements that it brings out. But right. as as we put this all together in encapsulation, these stories you have to know your history, and even the and even the brighter elements are sometimes put away. And um, I definitely think that was 
that's kind of where I'm at as well. But but overall, wrapping it up, I mean, this is this is obviously just an encapsulation of, of just so many tragic stories that, that that have had to be told in the past. Trent, but before we wrap it up, were there any closing thoughts uh, that you had for this film? Uh, yeah, man. So I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, but I'm excited to see this new this new ensemble of black actors in Hollywood. Um, yeah, it, it it felt weird, man. It felt weird film and not seeing like a like a Denzel type actor or a um you know yeah. whoever it just don't just throw you know anybody in the last twenty years out there. Just throw them out there. It's like it was so weird not seeing that. But you know what? It's it's a new era, man. Like those people their their careers are starting to slow down a little bit. Um and it's time for this fresh blood to be injected into the films we see and I'm I'm here for it. I mean Dana Kaluuya is, I mean, he is three for three in my book. <laughs> you know, he smashed Absolutely. Get Out, smashed his role in Black mm-hmm. Panther, and he smashed Fred Hampton. So uh, bring it on. I want to see more of him. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Trent, it has been an absolute pleasure um, having you having you on. Is always definitely always one of our favorite guests, and we, you know, just love to chop it up with you. But thanks for being back on, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wendell Burns, by my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.